It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now here's Eric Lutie. Father, this is for your glory. Lord, we just cherish uh, Jesus Christ, the gift of your Son to us. Lord, for his life lived, his death died, his resurrection gained. Lord, the fact that he sits enthroned on high with all things underneath his feet. Lord, we cherish this reality. We bask in it, and by faith we believe in it. And Lord, I pray that the realities of this great work of Jesus Christ would crescendo in our souls today, and that it would uh, move us to even a greater understanding and that we would live more boldly, more robustly for you. Lord, we love you and submit to you. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. All right. So we are going through a a series called The Muscular Christian. I'm I'm really enjoying this series. I think I just enjoy saying the title uh, each time of the series. But uh, this, this particular one is called Intrepid. And uh, I remember learning the word intrepid uh, when I was studying American history. And you know how they use, in early American history, they use more vocabulary words than we do. And so I found the word intrepid when it was talking about uh, the revolutionary soldiers uh, that were standing their ground, you know, and they, they wouldn't move and they stood undaunted. And I was deeply stirred by the word. I remember looking it up way back then and I was like, okay, I want that. And I don't know if you've ever had that where you, where you see a, an attribute that is noble, is brave, is courageous, is loving, kind, whatever it is. It's, it's usually something we're missing and we're craving, we're desiring. And yet you try and work these things in yourself and to a certain degree you can't. You know, there is a certain human variety of every virtue. Like if you were to go through the fruit of the spirit and say love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, there's a human version of each one of those. And yet the God version is so far beyond that it causes the human version to truly be, as it were, dung comparatively. In other words, it is so far beneath what God's rendition of it is. And that's the way, if you, you, you desire to build intrepidity, some of you are like, what in the world even does this mean? If you try and build this in yourself, it is such a hollow, shallow, smallish version of what God desires to do. And this is actually a quality of the Christian life. And that's what I'd go, I'd even call it a fruit of the spirit. This very concept is a fruit of the spirit. This is what God wants to build in us. And if his spirit lives inside of us, this is just what he does. He builds this. Intrepid. So from the Webster's 1828 Dictionary, intrepid, adjective, literally not trembling or shaking with fear, hence fearless, bold, brave, undaunted as an intrepid soldier. Could you imagine being a soldier and having bullets whizzing at you and you are fearless? I don't think that's natural. I don't think that's normal. I think if... Like, for instance, if you ever had it, it's called a wince. When someone does something like, you know, they, they fake a punch in, towards your face, and what would you do? 
You wince or you pull back. That's human. That's what we do. If someone were to swing at you and you would just stand there and take it, it's like, well, is that all you got? That's not normal. It's not normal to stand there and stare a punch in the face or a bullet. Someone shooting a bullet at you, you're going to duck. It is a natural movement, an instinctive movement within us as humans. And so intrepidity, this idea of a boldness in the face of danger to not wince, to not shy away, but to stand firm is otherworldly. I'm going to use the word unshakable because when you think of intrepid, you might not understand the word, might not be familiar uh, to you, but unshakable. I like that. That's, That's a good way of describing it. The Bible would call it patience. Isn't that just sort of a a weak-sounding synonym, patience? To us, patience means not grumbling when you are heating up some hot water in the microwave and it is taking a long time, or your popcorn is taking too long and you are learning patience. Like, okay, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait until the beep goes off instead of rushing it and opening it up too soon before all the kernels have popped. That's what many of us sort of define patience as. Patience is a little kid thing. It's like what kids need when they're waiting for their mom who is always the last person to leave church and, you know, they're hanging on the mom's arm and the mom says, honey, you need to be patient. Okay, so many of us have this idea of patience. It's a very thin, very simple concept that many of us think that we've grasped as opposed to what the Bible actually teaches patience to be which is robust. It is a God attribute. It is something that when God moves in, he showcases patience. What is it? Well, I'm giving you a hint right here. By the name of the message, by the definition of intrepid, and by that word unshakable. The amazing manly recipe for patience. Well, you need to mix a few, t- a few things together. You need tensile strength, and you need resilience, and that equals patience. I don't know that I helped you very much because you might not know what tensile strength is. You might not have a clue what resilience is, let alone now what patience really is. So I'm I'm just building my case. So tensile strength, which I have another message which I'll go into tensile strength, but tensile strength is not tinsel, okay, like what you stick on your Christmas tree. That's not the same thing. Tensile strength is a measurement of like rope or springs. It's something that needs to endure great strain. And so when it's built, it needs to be measured on how much difficulty it can carry and for how long. And so a tensile rating of something is going to be its ability to endure pain and difficulty. So if it's rope, how much weight can it handle and for how, how long can it handle it? And if it's springs, how much weight can it, they hold and for how long can they endure such weight? Okay, it's very important. If you're jumping on a trampoline, you want to make sure that those springs can hold you up, right? And that's what tensile strength is. Well, what most of us never think about is that the human soul is not necessarily built of muscle. It's built of something like this, tensile. And so what we grow in is the strength of soul to endure difficulty. How much weight can your soul handle and for how long? You see, that's tensile strength. So how much stress, difficulty, and hardship the human soul can handle before giving way and breaking? So how much, I mean, if you were just to measure your soul right now, if you had it where a little trial comes on your life and you immediately begin to give way and you just fall to pieces, 
you get a voicemail, you get an email, someone whispers a piece of information to you, you immediately go into fear mode. You immediately go into sort of this paralysis mode. Well, obviously there's something missing in your life. You have a very low tensile rating. And so what God desires is to build us strong so that we can endure anything. And I mean that, anything. It doesn't matter what the enemy brings our way, we're built to face it without crumbling, without falling to pieces. Resilience. So when, when I was young, I had a, it was one of my favorite gifts. We were talking about uh, young kid gifts the other day. My kids always want to ask me about what toys I played with when I was in, uh, in you know, their age. And we had something called Stretch Armstrong, which I think, ironically, was re-released. I think Stretch Armstrong is back on the market today. I'm not positive. But I think who, all the kids my age are bringing things back in, like all the old movies I used to watch are you know, being recycled back through. So there's something about my age. It's like they must have kids all in their uh, certain age range, and they're bringing all this stuff back. And uh, so Stretch Armstrong, you could grab, you know, your friend grabs one arm, and you grab the other, and you can walk across the room and stretch Stretch Armstrong across the room. He has some kind of goo inside of him. And then you let go. And you see, Stretch Armstrong is resilient, which means he goes back to shape. And so that's what resilient is. How, well, I'll just read it. How long the human soul takes to return to its former size and shape after enduring acute stress, difficulty, and hardship. See, many of us, when we are stretched or we are strained in our life, we go through a trauma we lay there with our arms stretched across the room and, you know, just in this, oh, type of state, and we don't go back into our proper state. And so we are not resilient. A resilient person actually is able to immediately rise back up and say, okay, what else do we have? Let's, let's do that again. A resilient one can go through difficulty and get back into shape spiritually. And you could say, how fast? Well, technically... It should be close to immediately. Now, that's at the supernatural levels. Don't get me wrong. That is something God desires to work inside of us. But if you have tensile strength plus resilience, you have something known as patience. You see, patience is the stuff that martyrs need. Someone who is, in, is going to be thrown into prison, someone who is going to be tortured, someone who is going to hang on a cross, what do they need? Well, you could say, well, let's see. What, what, what do they need? They need love. Well, that would be helpful. They need joy, sure. But you know what they, they need? Not just peace, but there's a fourth one in the list that I'm getting to, patience. Patience is the stuff for suffering. If you're going to go through difficulty, you have to have patience. But not the patience that you may think of when I say the word. The word is, is almost like marred. It doesn't work for us in our brain anymore. So if we need to go back to the Greek word for it, we can, which might reset things. Here's our word for patience, hupomeno. So if you were going to define hupomeno, you know, I've given intrepid. I've given uh, the idea of unshakable. I've given the idea of tensile strength plus resilience. But here's another definition. It's the calm and courage of the Christian soul. So when bombs are dropping and the Christian soul is completely calm and confident and courageous, and bullets are whizzing, and they smirk at them. Okay, what is that? That's not normal. That's not human. Well, it's godly is what it is. It's patience. It's hupomeno. And this hupomeno is of great importance in your life. 
So to remain unmoved, to not recede or flee, to stand fast amidst the most severe misfortunes, it says most, most, uh, but that wasn't intentional, the most, most severe misfortunes and trials, and to hold fast one's faith in Christ to the end, to endure and bear ill treatments bravely and calmly. Now, if I were to lay out a whole bunch of different attributes for you on a table and I say, pick one. It's, it's Christmas morning. You can just have one of these. Take it. I mean, it, you have to admit, as Americans, well, no, I know not all of you are. We have some imposter Canadians here that uh, on, on July 4th, we're wearing Canadian garb, okay? And I, I still am a little sensitized to that. So I could say as North Americans, but then we'd have some other people go, hey, I'm not North American either. I know we have a lot of different representations here. But in our culture, we have not been built strong. We are weak when we face trials. Most cultures in history past build just because of the nature of the difficulty of every culture. They don't have the conveniences that we do. Even if you just add an outhouse into our life, it actually strengthens character. It's really strange. But when you have to get up in the middle of the night and it's negative 10 and you really need to go to the bathroom, you're going to have to draw on something that we as normal North Americans don't have to draw on. And that is an oomph because you're going to have to go out in a negative 10 degree temperatures whether you like it or not. You have to use the, the outhouse. Okay, so an outhouse, the things like running water, all the things that we like, of course, you have to have that. But what we've lost in our North American culture is we've lost a certain oomph. We've lost a strength of character that is cultivated through facing difficulty on a daily basis. We don't face difficulty, and if we do, we complain about it. You know what a Christian does when they face difficulty? They rejoice in it. Do you see a difference between you and that? You see, we don't like inconvenience. We are entirely built in our infrastructure to expect it. And so if anything is ever difficult, we don't like it. Whereas if you go back into the ancient pattern of civilization, what you see is that when difficulty comes, people recognize that they either are destroyed by these difficulties or they're made by these difficulties. And the people that choose to rise up and smirk and smile at difficulties, become the strongest people in every culture. That's why the soldiers actually relished battle. They relished the difficulty and the challenge of it because they recognized it made them stronger. I don't think we get it. I don't think we get that one singular point, and that is that difficulty is a great advantage. I've said this before, but if you go to the gym to work out, You are choosing difficulty on purpose. That's what an athlete does. If you want to be in shape, what are you doing? You are choosing difficulty. Now, we don't usually call it that. You know, we call it working out. However, what you're doing is you're taking a weight and you're putting it on yourself. You're actually saying, I need this weight to become stronger. Isn't that just a weird thought? I need to actually make my lungs work. I need to make my heart beat I need to make my muscles stretch. If I'm going to make them stronger, I need to move them. We know that, but we have manufactured environments for it. They're called gyms, workout facilities. 
God has a very organic version of it. It's called life. However, we want to sanitize the difficulties out of it, and we want life easy. We want what we could call an ibuprofen life, a life that takes out all pain, when in actuality, if you would embrace that pain, if you would embrace that difficulty, you would become muscular overnight. The question is, do you want to grow muscular? Do you want to grow strong? It's a really, I mean, some of these muscular, these muscular Christian series things that I'm giving, I mean, you notice that they sort of just like push at us. That's because it comes down to the decision, do you want to be strong as a Christian or not? Because there's only one way to do it, and that's to embrace difficulty, to embrace inconvenience, to embrace challenge, to embrace suffering. You're supposed to rejoice when you face trials of many kinds. You're not supposed to consider it strange, my brothers, when you face these trials. But we do. In fact, even as you're sitting there, you know what I'm saying is true, but you're not exactly sure you want to amen it. However, once you start amening, what I'm saying right now is the moment you break through. It's the moment you break through into the rarefied airs of heavenly thinking. It's okay. It's okay. I know that we as, I'm going to say North Americans, even though I know that there's exceptions to the rule here. We as North Americans have a mindset of what we deserve. But that mindset is killing our Christianity. It's suffocating it. If we desire to break out of that into the way of functioning as Christians, God intended where we can grow strong and robust, we have to shed that thinking. We have to repent of actually considering trials as a negative. Could you imagine if you actually thought of a trial as a positive? I'm not saying that what the devil is doing is good. I'm saying that God turns it all for good to those that love him and are called according to his purpose. You see, that means no matter what happens to you, you can smile at it. It's like the shield of faith. That's what it is. It's like, hey, my God's in control. And it repels every fiery dart of the evil one. You see, once you have the faith to see everything through the lens of heaven, through the lens of God being in control, through the lens that this weight is making me stronger, this repetition of movement that I am doing to press against weights pressing down on me actually is increasing my strength. Eh, breakthrough. So how do we get patience? Well, the Bible tells us. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations. Who's going to glory in tribulations? Thanks, Paul. Glory in tribulations. You know what tribulations is? Like, if you've ever, ever heard the word tribulation, it's like, oh, bad. Have you ever thought about that? If, you, if I were to give you the word tribulation, say, good or bad word? Well, it's about as bad a word to us as Christians as it gets. You know where it comes from? It comes from a word tribular. You know what a tribular is? A tribular is a threshing instrument. A threshing instrument is what they would use for different crops. Like, for instance, we have combines, and they go through a field, and what they're doing is they're collecting the, the wheat, for instance, or the corn, and they're also threshing it. They're doing a work on that crop that is removing husk. It's removing the excess stuff so you can get down to the actual food that you're after. They used to do that by hand. 
And so you collect and bring in the harvest, but then you have to thresh it. And you have to beat away the chaff. So did you know that threshing to an agricultural society is a positive? Bringing tribulation to wheat is actually making the wheat more valuable. It's not harming the wheat, it's helping the wheat. It's removing the unnecessary husk off of it. Isn't that an interesting thought to think that tribulation is good? Yeah, that's a, that's a game changer for us, isn't it? And not only so, but we glory in tribulations. Why, Paul? Knowing that tribulation works patience. It works hupomeno. You want that calm and confidence in your soul, that brave calm in the midst of any difficulty? You have to start embracing the threshing. You have to embrace the difficulty, that which is removing the husk of the old man from you. Cheer it on. Because what the result is, is hupomeno. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. <laughs> I know we know that scripture, okay? We, for whatever reason, we're exposed to this scripture an awful lot in our Christian life, but I don't know that we actually believe it. You know, if I were to say, do you believe the Bible to be true? You'd say, yes, I do. But then I'd say, do you believe that line to be true? Well, you'd have to say, of course I do. But no, I, I want to go deeper. Do you actually believe this is true? Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Is the writer of this book, James, in this case, is he speaking truth? That we should, in fact, count it all joy. That's like a huge statement. Count it all joy when we face trials of many kinds. Who in the right mind would do that? A Christian would do it. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces something. What is that something? Hupomeno. You see, if you want to grow in that robust strength of soul, that patience, that ability to endure any difficulty without breaking, that ability to return back to your shape like Stretch Armstrong can, that resilience, if you're wanting this in your soul, count it all joy when you face trials. For the testing of your faith is going to produce hupomeno. But let patience, let hupomeno have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. This is a huge attribute in the Christian life. And when you allow it to be worked inside of you, you end up lacking nothing for the challenges of life. You're fully armed and dangerous to face anything if you will begin to count your trials Pure joy. Your choice. Do you want to grow up to be a strong Christian? If so, you have to rejoice in trials. If you keep looking at your trials as a negative, as something to get away from, you will not grow strong in your Christian life. The calm and courage of the Christian, built to do hard things as if they weren't really hard. I'm going to read that again. I think it's a really cool line. You see, a Christian is built to do something. It's that we are built to do the hardest things on earth. How? As if they weren't really hard. You see, a lot of us, we want to grunt and groan when we're doing hard things. I used to when I would sweat. As a young guy, you really want to sweat and you want other people to think and know that you were sweating, okay? And so what I would do is I would plaster my hair up. I would go... 
And so my hair would be sticking up, and it was a sign that I had been doing some serious working out. Okay, and I wanted everyone else to sort of know that I was working out. Now, I've recognized since then that girls don't have the same inclination towards that, okay? (laughs) But what's interesting is when you're young, you want people to sort of hear your groans, that you want them to know that you're working hard. You want want them to know that what you're doing is difficult. However, as a Christian, as you grow up, you recognize that what you want to do is make the hardest things Look natural. The old adage goes for the the football player. You know, a rookie, when he gets into the end zone and scores his first touchdown, he does dances, he spikes the ball, he does all these things. But the veteran, the statement is, look like you've been there before. Okay, because you don't want to look like the rookie. Don't moan and groan. As a Christian, you understand that God gives grace. And so you're living a supernatural life. Show it. Show the supernatural nature, and that is in the midst of difficulty, you smile. And even if no one knows you're going through a difficulty, it makes no difference. You are built to do hard things as if they weren't really hard. Because to you, you have grace for it. They don't. So you're able to show them by the fact that it's not very hard. It's, well, it's not very hard as long as you have God. You can endure all things. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Show it. When you do well and suffer for it, and you take it patiently, isn't that an interesting way of saying it? So in other words, you do well, but you're suffering for doing well, but you take that suffering with a smile. You take it patiently. You endure it with a brave calm. You see, when you do that, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto you, were you called. This is actually your calling. You were called to bear well your sufferings. You were called to it, rise up in your sufferings with a smile. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. So how did Christ suffer? How did Christ endure his difficulties? So you do it like that. Yep. It's the Christ model, guys. We're called to it. So here's a a review. I know this is the review you were looking for. You're like, I wish you could just review that one list. Uh, Okay, I'm I'm reviewing the one list for you because I know some of you probably asked. Stephen was stoned. Philip was crucified. Matthew was slain with a sword. Remember, Jesus sets an example. And then those closest to him, which is this list, this is how they lived their life. They suffered for doing that which was right. They suffered in their body, but they took it patiently. Matthew was slain with the sword. James, the brother of Jesus, was stoned and clubbed. Matthias was stoned and beheaded. Mark was dragged to pieces. Jude was crucified. Bartholomew was cruelly beaten and then crucified. Thomas was thrust through with a spear. Luke was hung. Peter was crucified. And John was thrown into a cauldron of boiling oil and removed unscathed and then exiled to Patmos. If you were to look into each of these stories, what you would find is that they did it patiently. Some of the stories are so extraordinary. James, when he's being led to, he's, he's actually taken to the top of uh, the, the temple in Jerusalem and thrown off. Uh, and so his body splatters on the ground, right? And uh, as he's being led to his death, he's, wait a minute. 
That isn't, that isn't right. That is what happened to him, but this is a different James, I think, that I'm thinking of. Would you, Nathan, do you know which one I'm talking about? I don't remember how he died. He is on his way to death, and the man who turned him in, who betrayed him, is actually so moved by seeing his intrepidity, his fearlessness, and his joy in the midst of going to his death, that he repents and believes in the God of James and gives his life to Christ and dies with him. Who does that? But what caused this man to actually give his life to Christ? James, James's, if you could say it that way, intrepidity. It was his fearlessness. It was his brave calm in the midst of suffering. It was a testimony to even the man who betrayed him. So that the man who betrayed him actually gives up his life to Christ and dies with him. Okay, that's, that's a pretty good story, guys. So Peter is being led to his death, and he's going to be crucified, which Jesus actually indicated that uh, when he was uh, still with him. And when, G- when, J- when, boy, see if I can get my names correctly, when Peter finds out that he is going to be crucified in the same form as Jesus, he pleads in the honor of his Christ, the one he loves, that it would be done differently, even more painfully if necessary lest he denigrate or diminish at all the crucifixion of his Lord. He chooses, get this, Peter chooses a more painful death in order to honor Jesus in his dying. Who who does that? Upside down, please, the death of the apostle Peter. Jerome saith that he was crucified, his head being down and his feet upward, himself so requiring, because he was, he said, unworthy to be crucified after the same form and manner as the Lord was. This is the same guy that denied Christ three times. Something changed inside of him. I don't know if you see it there. But something transformed this man. This man now has patience. He has hupomeno. He has the fruit of the Spirit in him that is enabling him to make otherworldly choices in the midst of the most harrowing circumstances. Most of us only think about ourselves in a moment like this. Peter is thinking about the honor and the glory of Jesus Christ. Crucified upside down. Crucifixion is a very, very painful thing. To choose a more painful version of it, upside down, the way you breathe in crucifixion is to press up and to, because you have to to try and breathe, your body is like in a collapsed position. You have to press up. So when Jesus had his entire back uh, scourged, you could just imagine he had to rub it against the, the, the wood just to breathe. I mean, the extremity uh, of pain that he was in is so amazing. Peter is upside down in that same situation. I can't even imagine what that would have been like. I will not be silenced. The death of the apostle Andrew. So Andrew, the apostle, his story is, uh, it's one of my favorites. Of course, I love them all. But uh, he is brought before a governor named... uh, I forgot what Demetrius said his name. It was like Agis. Remember, remember how we, we had that printed? It's A-G-I-S. I don't, it's probably a different one than the one we had on the screen earlier, but Governor Agis. Uh, and he, in gov- the governor sets him down uh, in a room and, and gives him a command. You will not preach about this Jesus or about this cross ever again. And if you do, I will crucify you on one too. Okay, that's good enough for most of us. It's like, okay, got it, got it. No more talking. 
You know what Andrew says? I would have not dared to preach the glory of the cross of Christ if I was first not willing to die upon one. That was his answer. And so the governor was fuming mad and so takes him out and literally crucifies him. Andrew could have just kept his mouth shut. Instead, he had to speak. Come on, Andrew. He did not fear. And listen to this statement. I would have not dared to preach the glory of the cross of Christ if I was not first willing to die upon one. Are you of the same mindset? Do you understand what it means to follow Jesus? Where as you preach the cross of Christ, in the very beginnings of your Christian faith, you are agreeing, yes, God, I accept the difficulties that will come with this. I accept that it can come with a cross. And I'm okay with that. Is that how you started out your Christian life? I think we've started out a little upside down. It's sort of like we were born breach. We didn't come out quite right because the way that these early apostles were born in their faith seems very different than ours. So Andrew was taken outside the city and in, in the symbol of, symbol of Andrew in Christian history is an X. And the reason is because it was two pieces of wood like an X and he was tied to them which means it's a very slow and painful death where basically all your bones are getting out of joint and it's just absolutely excruciating, but you don't die quickly because there's no wound. There's no uh, you know, stab or you know, no slice. It's just you hanging there exposed to the sun. Uh, and he hung there three days. And you know what he did the whole time? He preached Jesus. That's what he did the whole time. So all these people are surrounded and he's just sharing with them about Jesus. The, the saints that didn't want to lose the apostle Andrew, and I don't blame them, went into the governor and were pleading for his life, saying whatever he did, he's paid his time. He's hung up there for an unnaturally long time. Please let him down and, so he can come back to us. So Andrew hears word of this, that the saints are trying to get him down off the cross. And so he cries out to heaven, Lord, spend my time among men. I desire to be with the one I love more than any. And that's you. Please take my soul. And so that's how he died. Isn't that good? I was like, yeah, I want to die like that. Audacious Ignatius. Sort of a rhyme in there. I want you to catch it because I was pretty proud of my little uh, slide there. <clears throat> so auda- audacious. Ignatius was discipled by John the Apostle. Wouldn't that be fun to say that you were discipled by John the Apostle? So he's quite an amazing man and uh, a father of, of the faith throughout all Christian history. But when he was led to his, he was told that he was going to be fed to lions on the morning. Okay, just let's imagine that you just got a note. Someone comes in and hands you a note and says, you are going to be fed to lions tomorrow morning. I, I don't know how you process that, but I, I know my inclination. It's to immediately think about how painful that would be. And what it would be like to have my arm ripped off or to have, you know, teeth wrapped around my neck and then squeeze. It's like we live through it from a very self-vantage point. What does this mean to me? Ignatius is responding patiently, if you could say it that way. And what he does is he rejoices. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Wait a minute here. You're rejoicing? You know what he refers to the lions as? His friends. Why? 
because they're gonna be the ones to take me into the presence of the one I love. So the lions are his friends, and he rejoices, okay? Do you, you see a little cuckoo, cuckoo? No, it's Christian. Okay, this is from Fox's Book of Martyrs. Having come to Smyrna, he wrote to the church at Rome, exhorting them not to use means for his deliverance from martyrdom. Don't use any means to get me out of this situation, church, lest they should deprive him of that which he most longed and hoped for. Now I begin to be a disciple, he said. I care for nothing of visible or invisible things so that I may but win Christ. Let fire and the cross, let the companies of wild beasts, let breaking of bones and tearing of limbs, let the grinding of the whole body and all the malice of the devil come upon me. Be it so, only may I win Christ Jesus. And even when he was sentenced to be thrown to the beasts, such is the burning desire that he had to suffer, that he spake what time he heard the lions roaring, saying, I am the wheat of Christ. I am going to be ground with the teeth of wild beasts that I may be found pure bread. It's like completely different than the way we function. So as one of my favorite stories goes, and you have all these Christians that are going to be fed to wild beasts. And they're all in this arena behind a gate, and the gate's going to open, and they're going to be thrust out. And all these young Christians were really struggling. They were really struggling with the idea of going forth and laying down their lives. They knew it was the right thing, sort of like we do, but they were trembling. They didn't have the stuff inside of them. And these aged Christians said to them, we'll go first. Watch our example, and you'll be able to follow. And these aged saints come walking out, singing into the arena with such fearlessness. And it's like whatever they had came into these young Christians, and the young Christians were then desiring to go. You see, what what is the difference about our generation is we've never seen that. We don't have the aged Christians that are like, watch me go before you and you'll be able to follow. As I'm even sharing this message, it seems like we're talking about something other than Christianity here because the Christianity we know doesn't sound or look like this. And yet this is actually historic Christianity. This is what we have been grafted into, guys. It's muscular. It's strong. It's robust. It's ready. It's smiling. It's singing in the most dark and difficult of circumstances. I don't know about you, but I I choose this version. If you give me modern version of Christianity, all wimpy and weak and mediocre, and you give me this robust version, which one am I choosing? I'm going robust. I desire the strong version. I know that some of you, even though you're a little petrified over this whole notion, you want it too. You see, there's the spirit of God within us craves this. And you see, he's measuring us. He's saying, uh, how are you doing there? I'm feeling rather cowardly and weak, as I know. But this is where I come in. Remember, he's the gap filler. He's the grace maker. He's the one that makes up that difference between where you're at and where you're called to be. So it's not up to you to make this happen. It's up to him if you will allow him to. Will you give him your life, your body, your future, and let him do his work? Because he will put a smile on your soul and he will make you intrepid. He will build hupomone in hupomeno in you. Germanicus. So there's this movie that someone gave me. It was called Polycarp. 
if you guys have ever seen Polycarp. And so in that, they, they took some liberties, I have to admit, uh, with Polycarp, and they wove Germanicus into the story. Whether or not the two ever lived together or not, is, that's debatable, but it was an interesting take on it. And uh, the Germanicus character, there's one scene, because you know the budget that they had for this movie was not quite up to snuff for showcasing wild beasts eating people and Christians being fed to uh, in, in arenas. And so they had a painting on the back uh, of you know, the arena, and, so you, and then they heard the, you heard the crowd roaring. Right? So you have to use your imagination for it. It's not quite Peter Jackson-esque, but powerful. And so what you have is Germanicus, who at one point in time, in a sense, denies his faith. Not in the fullest extent, but he is cowardly, and he pulls back. And then Polycarp gives him one of those great fatherly exhortations to his soul. And in the end, Germanicus is willingly giving himself to the wild beasts. In fact, he's ready. And the scene that had a big impact on me, that's why I'm sticking it in this message, he is thrust into the arena and the wild beasts are out there. He smiles and sprints towards them. I was like, okay, that. Put your finger on that and say, God, I select that version right there. Wild beasts, I'm being fed to wild beasts. What do I do, run away? No, run towards with a smile on my face. I'm going home. Let's hurry this thing up. I get to see Jesus. The greatest privilege of every Christian throughout history is to be chosen, to be given, to be spent for the glory of God. If you have that opportunity, yeah, you might want to sprint towards it. You might want to smirk, smile, laugh, sing, like the Christians of old have done. Intrepid, fearless, brave and calm in the midst of life's most harrowing of circumstances. How can that be? Well, it's not human. It's divine. It's something only God can do. But if you will give him your life and you will allow him to begin to work in your circumstances, even today, the difficulties you face today, smile at him. Rejoice. Sprint towards them. And allow God to exercise your soul through them to make you strong instead of having those same circumstances weaken you. Depends on how you approach them. They'll either weaken you or make you stronger. For many of us, we've been weakened by our difficulties instead of strengthened. It's time that that changes. Father, I ask that you would do that in us and that you would grant us a grace to begin to exercise the difficulties and the trials and the sufferings that we face. Lord, whether it's physical ailments that we personally have, whether it's physical ailments that someone else has in our life, I pray that we would exercise these, Lord, with joy and with faith. Lord, whether it's financial lack, where we look at our bank account and we don't see what we need. And Lord, I pray that we would exercise this. Instead of moaning and grumbling and complaining, we would exercise this with joy because this is an opportunity for you to make up the difference. Lord, where we have 
practical, tactical, logistical challenges in our life, things that seem just impossible to have be accomplished that we know must be accomplished. Lord, I pray that we would seize these with joy and a smile upon our soul and that we would exercise them in our soul the way we ought and that you would build us to be stout and muscular in our souls. Lord, we love you. We set our lives before you and ask that you would fill them afresh with your Holy Spirit and lead us forward, onward and upward. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellerslie campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon live and in person. Thanks for listening.